You're now listening to the No GPS Podcast with host Mez and Aaron. Remember to share, like, subscribe, and follow. Got a show idea, complaint, interesting take, or just want to say what's up? You can reach us at nogpspodcast.gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Light all around the world, let me know. Around the world, giving diamonds and pearls. All right, here we are again, one more time for the mind. It's me, Aaron, and I'm with my guest host, Mr. Mez, out there in the English Isles. And what's up, Mez? How you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, uh, excited to go back into this book. We're going from my my side of the Atlantic uh, in London, talking about Paul Gilroy, to something a little bit closer to you. I know Detroit is... Uh, the town you're interested in, right? <laughs> Independent of uh, whatever we're going to talk about today. For sure. 100%. I mean, any place that can produce somebody like Anita Baker, you have <laughs> you have my heart and soul forever. <laughs> and I'm trying to make it out there for the July 2 concert, so... Oh, really? To Detroit? I'm trying to do it, man. I think Babyface is going to be there, too, Jesus. so... I want to be out there in Motown. That's like, that's like, that's like your bedroom right there. <laughs> Two posters on either side. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just... For me, musical royalty, right? Um, and we're here to talk about somebody who knows all about that. And we're, we're talking about um, the book by Mr. Daniel McNeil uh, entitled Thinking Wild Black. So this is part two. So Yeah. So today, just like uh, Mez introduced it, we're going to be talking about Armin White. And, you know, he is a very, very, very... I mean, honestly... <laughs> You're going to say controversial? Well, I, no, I was actually, he's hes one of the best writers I've ever read in my life. Like, when you introduced me to him, and when I finally bought The Resistant Years, like, that was a game changer for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, to see somebody just break all of the disciplinary rules, and to, to take things, to put the classical with the everyday ordinary, and, you know, like, he just, he just, he just knows how to shift in a way that's just, it's musical to me. It's very jazzy. Um, for me, he's one of the best. Yeah. Not just as a film critic, but just as a writer, right? I think that's um, in this chapter. I think Daniel McNeil gets to the core of why that is. Because uh, between what White is trying to do and what Pauline Kael, another writer, was doing already. Between them two, I think it tried that chapter tries to get to the uh, core of what it is that made them um, connect to, you know, regular folks, I guess, at at, the, at at that level. You know, you didn't have to be college educated. You didn't have to be a, a movie buff. Something about, what, about how they saw you should talk about movies kind of, uh, you know, cut through all the clutter and gets to where you're at. No, 100%. I mean, like, obviously, Pauline Kael is one of his great influences. He comes across that book as illustrated by Daniel McNeil in, 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 in Thinking While Black. He comes across that book sometime in his 60s, twirling on a, a, twirling on a, a, book, a book rack in a, in a drugstore. And it, it's a, a seminal moment in his life that changes him forever. And obviously, I come to Pauline Kael through Armin White. 
and also another one of his big influences, uh, Andrew Saris. Yeah. Aside from all of that, just like think about the cultural hotbed that Detroit, Michigan was back then in Armin's formative years of the 50s and the 60s, right? Like with Motown, with, you know, the first black arts, the first black radio owned radio stations, right? Shout out to Martin, <laughs> which was based in Detroit. Yeah. Um, I think they had black theaters. I think the first black arts movement conference was held there in Detroit. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, I mean, it's people like Grace Lee Boggs are out there, right? It's, it's just the most interesting city in the world for, for like, for that, for us who were born at the tail end, like towards the end of uh, that century, last century, I think. It's, you know, between Motown and Ford and Detroit Techno and Jay Dilla and right. uh, Robocop and General Motors <laughs> and and Martin's was up radio station <laughs> and and, yeah. and and you yeah. know Flint Michigan all that stuff you know if you even like draw a wider circle around it like Gary Indiana Flint Michigan all that it, it's right, the most right. in, in, in interesting city in the world for me anyways because when I back in my kind of black tourism days in my mind I used to want to like visit three places it was Oakland and the Bay Harlem in New York and just Detroit, like maybe go to a hip hop concert in Detroit. <laughs> I was, you know, my right. in my hippie side of my uh, hippie days of my uh, youth. That's how I used to think of Detroit. So yeah, it is. Um, that's what makes um, this even more interesting. That's what makes Armin White even more interesting. And um, I think quickly, kind of one thing you can already like see that that links him to Paul Gilroy is this kind of move from. <clears throat> or this tension between the secular and the religious that I think mm. Armin White worked into his work throughout his life. Like he maintained it. I, I, I think he kind of kept it to his, to, uh, and then into his core um, writing. Whereas with Gilroy, he abandoned it. Right. But as a kid, right. he lived in a household that told him, Nope, we're not going to the movie theater. That's where the devil is. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Like his family converts to Pentecostalism. Yeah. Uh, I think they were Baptist before that. So he he he's in a Christian fundamentalist house, right? Like it's it's you know my grandma, my aunts are are, are Pentecostal. I understand what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> what well, my mom switched too from Catholic to it. You know, it took a few steps, but ended up uh, right at the end, at the at the fiftieth step. I think that's what Pentecostal. You know, there's something to do with fifty in that religion. Don't don't quote me, right. <laughs> but uh, but I also like the nuance because they didn't go to the theaters, but they watched Italian movies at home. And um, what else did was it on Canadian cable? Canadian cable, From Canadian yeah. cable. Right. right? So um, there is nuance, you know. Just even in you'd like to think of oh these people, this family, they don't do this at all. Whereas if you go inside, you actually you know find surprising things that shouldn't really be that surprising. It's like with um, uh, you know an example on Europe has always been. Muslim families who celebrate Christmas, like they would put up a Christmas tree for their kids and stuff like that. Um, right. Which is like, what? You know, but also kind of normal if you go on the, on the other side of things. So yeah, I like that uh, kind of nuanced um, deep dive into his childhood um, days. For sure. I think it's, it's instructive in so many different ways, right? What, what McNeil shows us is that his parents brought him up in a way to say, what can you contribute to the world that is of use to others? And when you speak, 
make sure that you're informed and you know what you're talking about, right? Something to that effect. And it, I don't, it, Armand doesn't lose that. He, he sticks with that. He's, he becomes later on a, a figure who stands his ground no matter what. He doesn't play politics. And because of that, he is somebody who I wasn't introduced to while I was in my undergraduate years, right? I, you introduced me to him maybe in a 2010, 2011, 2012, right? Like you first start talking about him, oh, it's an interesting person, but maybe it took a couple of years for me to, you know, finally start reading some of his, his work and then obviously then get resistant years, resistance years, which, which for me is just a book of, of all books. I always, rec- I just recommend it for anybody to read, whether you're into films or not. It's just, if you're, if you want to know about the world, just pick up that book. And uh, I, I proudly have a signed copy. I, I bought it off of Amazon <laughs> and I, I got a signed copy. So I was like, yo, this is amazing. Um, but yeah, just uh, aside from that fanboy stuff, you know, it's Armin comes up in a particularly politically charged environment. He writes for a politically charged university newspaper. Uh, but even before that, right, like his his high school years, just... Uh, I think his family is the first family. They're a working class black family, but they're the first family to move into, I think it was an all Jewish neighborhood yeah. or predominantly Jewish yeah. neighborhood. The first black family to to do that. So, you know, Armin knows what it's like to 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 stick out, and I think I think he's I think he's very comfortable with that. I don't think that uh, with all the the people, all the people who hate on him online now for whatever reasons they have justified or not i don't think it bothers him when people have all these crazy podcast show titles you know i, I was looking online i seen like a thing called the armin zone or something like armin white zone or something like that and i'm like oh is he on this you know i'm like doing my research and i'm like oh my gosh he's not on this like he's he, he, he literally he has a lot of hate well he, and i mean it's 2023 <laughs> yeah this stuff was already like hitting its uh apex like in the 2009 2010 i mean that's when he was really uh, whenever i think when inception and toy story 3 and oh yeah and before that the dark hold on was it the dark no it wasn't the dark knight yeah no it was the dark knight yeah so dark knight rises the one with um no even before that, that the, whole, one with uh, jo- the first one with the joker but then where he really takes it to to task is you know when that that whole situation happened in aurora colorado right with the shooting yeah so, so that yes. that run from 08 to 2012, he kind of becomes the guy, the contrarian guy, you know, and and that's also the Rotten Tomatoes era. That's when it's taking off. It's when um, right. a whole market of um, bloggers are identified as um, potential, you know, <laughs> data points in the data set for something like Rotten Tomatoes to kind of, uh, you know, take off. Uh, you know, you, you know the quote-unquote democratization of criticism, and you have mm-hmm. all these young college kids, high school kids, uh, who are all getting into this online space and are getting invited into like by studios and to premieres and things. Like, you know, it was it was a dawn of a new kind of era for film journalism. Uh, he stuck out like a like a sore thumb. Yeah, because so, yeah, he 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 brought that sensibility that he had in the seventies when he was writing for this for the South End newspaper at Wayne State University, and then also for a, a newspaper out there in Detroit, right where he it's either he said it or uh, a colleague of his said it. He's not the type of person he can't be bought, 
and he can't be persuaded by the blandishments of the white liberal media. Yeah, he, he said right? that himself. That's, that's, <laughs> right? So all of these different bloggers, they're getting invited to premieres by big Hollywood studios. And, you know, Armand is like, yeah, I'm not with that. And I'm going to call this bullshit out. Yeah, he already had right? a whole generation of actual, you know, quote unquote, actual film critics of that era. Um, what, You know, he went through that already with them. Like, So forget, you know, right. he's in his 50s at this point in the late... Um, in these like 2009-10 years, and um, the kids who are <laughs> who are getting who are getting to know him are like in their 20s. He was already going against you know people from his own generation in uh, you know film uh, criticism circles in the 80s and 90s, who would uh, you know get nice little goodies sent to them for the new movie that's coming out that they were going to write about for a big newspaper. And Armin White was mm-hmm. already going up against that. So he had like several generations head start in that. Now it's just, re- you know, kind of reached fever pitch. I don't even know. I mean, it makes sense for, for you know, what what he went on to become <laughs> later on, a few years later. <laughs> right, 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 right. Pa- patience runs out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, all, I'm all the way in on, on this side. And, you know, there's there's nuance, there's dichotomies, there's all kinds of different complexities and his own identity, right? He's uh openly gay man, a devout Christian, a a cultural connoisseur. Libertarian. He, he has all the a libertarian he has all of these Yeah, an, an American American, right? Yeah. As as him and Pauline Kale would say. And so I, I I think he's interesting to me because I think him and Pauline Kale are interesting to me because they they show the they like to pinpoint the uncommon commonness or the uncommon common people, right? Like they like movies that are sometimes a bit plain and straightforward. They don't like art house movies that are are too serious and and autobiographical. Autobiographical, sorry. They they have this American existential uh, sensibility to them that I think. How did they put it? I think he said. Oh, what was it? He had a quote, and it was it was masterful about um, about yeah. So about a, a existential films, right? Coming from Europe, his his big thing about it was like it only showed you the alienation of the characters. Yeah, it didn't show you the pain that the alienation would bring on, like a movie like Taxi by Martin Scorsese, right? Featuring uh, starring uh, Robert De Niro, right? It, it it shows you the consequences of this types of, type of alienation without glorifying a, a, a nihilistic or sadistic a worldview and i can respect that he's a humanist and he he pushed that line from the beginning and he's sticking with it him and paul guru have that in common too they're both humanists and they won't give it up uh, uh, given all of the different philosophical uh interjections by theory in the last 30 years they, they stick into their guns and i can respect that yeah um yeah the the one thing about like the diversity of his identities, I think that's what Daniel is trying to argue against in this. If there's anything one, like specific um, thing that he's um, doing here about how to maybe return and read Armin White from a different angle, maybe is because there's that line of uh, I think Owen is it Gleiberman or something. Someone wrote about him that someone a man with that many that much kind of variety stuck in him, something had to give at some point. You know, said, said something like that to that effect. 
and I think Daniel is trying to um, go back and uh, give you a different portrait of him that uh, would go against that, that he's actually quite principled and, and consistent in his um, in his views. The the thing about the uh, existentialist movies from Europe, I, I think I'd, you have to like take the context of the time, the, his, you know, the historical period that, that we're talking about. Because there are a lot of people who yeah. would watch the existentialism of something like Taxi, the alienation of a of a man from his own you know, understandings of his uh, masculinity and uh, his place in the world. A lot of people will tell you that those are pretty dour and dreary and not so much fun and not exciting at all right now. Like the guy who wrote that was, um, I think Paul Schrader wrote the Taxi movie that Scarsese mm. directed. And most of his movies are the exact same movie over and over again. And um, mm. a lot of people find them boring and uh, but that could be because now American existentialism has learned to run. Um, it can get it can get it too. But yeah, compared to what was coming out of Europe at the time, I guess compared to that, he saw more excitement in what America had to offer. Uh, but I think he's constantly aware of trying to build up like some populist American, specifically American populist uh, way of appreciating social life and. Like you were saying, his form of humanism is always wrestling with his Americanism. Yeah. And that's what makes him an interesting read, but not always someone you want to agree with, especially for someone like me who's never been to America. So, you know, America's (laughs) been everywhere. (laughs) Right, right, right. But I I think that's the reason why we should read people like Armin, is you're not going to agree all the time. It's the same thing with Gilroy, but I can respect where they're coming from. And like you said, if it's principled, hey, okay, that's your perspective. And it, it takes you out of the echo chamber, right? And I think for him, he wants, he, his view of the world is, or at least America, this is a multiracial, multicultural, democratic project. How do we make this happen? And as you've, you've told me before, right? Like his, his thing is like pop culture can unite us and save us. And I never really understood what that was about until uh, really reading this Daniel McNeil book and really getting into Armin and his worldview, right? And how he how he perceives things. And so he's going to call BS where it is. Like, he, he's the kind of guy, he's a Spielberg fan, right? I mean, he came out with a book called <laughs> Makes Spielberg Great, Great Again, Again, right? <laughs> he feels like Spielberg got co-opted by the the liberal the liberal left the Hollywood uh, liberals yeah. so he thinks that he's he's not making the kind of movies that he used to make which like he made the color purple right like and his whole thing is you don't have to be black or white or Jewish to make a movie about those people because art is not about seeing yourself it's about seeing other people and how they are like you that is Armin's whole point and. I'm like, okay, that's where you're coming from, right? And I think he was criticizing Michelle Yao for her Oscar speech, the twenty, the one that she recently did. Okay. Yeah, like he's calling out the the cliches, like you know, I'm doing this for for the girls who, the little girls who look like me, and like I understand that sentiment, right? But he's like, no, this has to reach out further. This is the maybe the more transcendental side of, and the, the less existential um, part of Armand, which is. No, like, like, how does somebody in in Indonesia relate to this? How does somebody in Burkina Faso relate to this? Like, or making a film about small town USA, 
maybe somebody in a bigger city like LA or New York City can find a string, a, a, a connective point, and then empathy can be built and grown, right? I think that for him, good movies entail those types of things where you can see yourself in others who are not necessarily, who don't necessarily look like you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we could have a whole separate podcast about him and Spielberg, his particular kind of humanism, Spielbergian humanism. Uh, and I have no idea what he thought of uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, he didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it was my favorite movie of the year uh, that that I saw. Yeah, my, mine's too. Mine's too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the things that he says about Burkina, I mean, what you said about what he says sometimes about Burkina Faso and Indonesia, and all that's all nice and well. But I think he swings when from one side to the other when he, he sees universalism in things. Uh, which is fine if he sees in him, but then he doesn't want to see them in other things when someone else sees them in him. And um, that's that's a whole separate thing. I think we might have to do this at the third or fourth part about this book <laughs> about Armand White. No, no, for sure. I, I mean, Daniel McNeil is going to talk about him again in the book. Yeah, so yeah I think definitely. we're dealing that's with the third chapter I mean. right yeah, now. This is just, it's interesting. Yeah. The, the main thing about this chapter really for me is interesting is when he steps into his uh, stint writing for the South End press at Wayne State because I think yeah. he comes right at, at the point in which the most radical left and Marxist-Leninist uh, period of that paper is on the way out, right? So mm. Watson and I think Cunningham were the names uh, McNeil provides there that um, are hounded out by, you know, the, the entire the entire um, system kind of descends on them, yeah, right? It's like they're going to the press and and telling the people who who run the printing press to stop printing. Um, pre they had to get their stuff printed in Chicago, right? With the Nation is exactly that was dope. I, <laughs> that that kind of cultural history is like the best part, you know, those little nuggets. Yeah. So they had to go over yeah. over to the other town and 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 guess who they who, who they had to ask for help and it was you know people you might not even agree with at a at a political ideological level anyways um right. and that that kind of i mean when you put a book book down you kind of it's kind of heavy right because you had these people and these people and these people who in today's twitter world we should all be fighting each other but right. when you actually read the history laid out these people are living side by side working together marrying each other divorcing each other uh right. hiring each other and they all had different theological views over a course of a lifetime that's more of a social and cultural mm. history that's rewarding and, and, wow. and tells you you know there's more nuance in relationships and and it makes it easier to actually see others and finding uh, that bit that is exactly like you in the first place that, that humanism comes out of that um, right but yeah um, I think he missed out just on the on the Marxism by a little bit <laughs> and yeah. I think his uh and this is the interesting thing, I guess. He's always suspicious of what Malcolm X called the the fox, the liberal fox, mm -hmm. because it like like Mama and Grandmama used to say, the liberal will take you out and say he he can he or she can save you, and he and and that you should stand up for yourself, and we should go out there and change the world. But at the mm -hmm. end of the day, when the sun comes down. The liberal will not go back to the same house that you do. You have much more to lose right. throughout the day than he does. And mm. that 
that is a kind of truth. I think that's even in Frank Wilderson's memoir, when he, at the end of the day, has a heart to heart with one of his lefty friends, and he it yeah. hits him for the first time. We don't live in the same space. But where Wilderson, it makes him question the entire left right binary, um, and you could say moves him further left. In uh, White's situation, he kind of uh, goes back to kind of his core kind of family principles of of a kind of a particular yeah. black midwestern christian um yeah that's black consciousness is family god it's contained in within the container of the nation as as paul gilroy would say right and that's that's also the difference between gilroy and white is that gilroy is like no it's out of the national container you will find like black consciousness you, the, hence the black atlantic right and for Armand, it's within the nation, within the, the bounds of the nation state, we can form our identity. And I think you can do both of those things, right? Because both both of those things run their course after a while. And you 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 dip from this one, you dip from that one, right? Sometimes you go back to the the Black Atlantic, Gilroy's Black Atlantic. Oh, that that was interesting. These ideas about hybridity and these lines crossing and wow these are interesting ideas about Jimi hendrix and oh my gosh it's like the sound clash culture or the big leaps in black english sound culture being finding its roots and origins in Jimi hendrix and his time there i'm like whoa i didn't know about that connection that there really is these lines that connect us obviously and i think for gilroy it's important to see uh blackness or or to to investigate black consciousness outside of the national container especially as somebody living within within england right because the english empire was the thing that connected all of us and moved us all around and so we have that that point of contention that connects us right and i think he tries to shows us that even though i think now he sees the black atlantic as being much more complicated and complex than how he initially wrote it in the 90s, right? Because in places like London and places like Toronto, places like New York City, you have a different demographic of blacks. Yeah, to say nothing of like places like Rio de Janeiro mm -hmm. or Central America or West Africa, because, right. you know, it's the, the, the main critique was always that it's an, a very Anglo-centric uh, conception. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 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 you're right. Right, right, right. So yeah, like it's... it's Armin is always... If you read Armand, you will always, it's always going to be a good read. You're always going to be interested. You, you could be, oh, I can't believe you said that. Oh my gosh, I never thought about that. It's, he's, he's, he's dynamic in that kind of way. It's kind of like akin to me, like when I read Fanon, Fanon was breaking out disciplinary lines like crazy. And I think to see that connection, and I think, I think it's a disservice, right? I'm going to show another connection between Gilroy and White, but uh, like to see how, Armand has kind of been outcasted from black academic space. I think it's, I understand the, 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 the issues, the contentions, the uh, feeling like he's, he's doing a disservice to the profession or whatever, because they feel like he transgresses too many lines, but this is, this guy's a, a genius at what he does. And to, to, to not have young black kids reading this his especially a book like the resistant years is come on, that's, that's a crime I, that I came to this so late in my life to me is a crime. I feel like I was robbed. <laughs> well, he, 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 but he himself, 
avoided acad academia because he because he thought it was so what does he call it here and um you know pr purposefully abstruse and over intellectualized and borrowing from european theory and yeah. european sensibilities he he was very much again like this the even idea of american jazz as this metaphor of an of a distinctly american modern form Mm -hmm. because that's what they always say right uh, was it ken burns who thinks baseball jazz and democracy hot dogs <laughs> <laughs> hot dogs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know i think it's democracy or whatever the third one was i mean that, yeah, that, I that would be crazy is, yeah. if he did think it was democracy or like the distinct american kind of you know forms that uh, america's gift to the world right. like uh, jazz baseball are f certainly one of the two one of the the two of the three um yeah and I think he was in, engaged in that process of, in in informing uh, under, you know, the inspiration of Pauline Kael, a kind of uh, people-based populist, like American people's uh, yeah. writing on on popular art. And he wrote, obviously, right. he, the other thing is he's not really a film critic. He's a cultural critic. He writes mm -hmm. about everything. Um, right. And he writes uh, at, about, even if he's talking about a film, he's really talking about everything that surrounds the film um which is what i found spine so compelling yeah he's um he's really invested in that american project he's and he, and he kind of said you know i don't need the academy because that would be an enclosure right 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 you you'd really not find him then <laughs> <laughs> but that that's what connects him and gilroy they're both out, outliers outcasts gilroy himself was was kind of being you know not let into the academic sphere it's, i mean i guess so but he but gilroy is a proper academic like he's the university he is now yeah yeah but i think his come up it was it was he was finding a bit of i think it's his ideas and he's also writing from britain yeah because he wasn't a he wasn't a structuralist marxist and all of that but yeah. i also think the connection between gilroy and white why i think they're principled in certain respects is that they called out black careerism right the the types of people like chris rock or whoever and and, and armin white does not like chris rock <laughs> for a long time not just because of this last special which he thought was childish i think <laughs> they, they they're always calling out the careerists who are taking the gains of the civil rights era and using it for their own private gain yeah he calls them race hustlers right yeah, that's race hustle. That that's a huge, that's a huge no no. That's 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 a faux pas. Yeah. I, I, the thing is, it it works differently. Like in my headspace, when Gilroy calls out raciology, what he calls it, I think he thinks he get, it gets in the way of real political ideological work. You know, aren't yeah. we done with? The, shouldn't we be done with race? And when we talk about race, what are we talking about? And when we're talking about race, what is it that we're not talking about? I think for him, it's this race, race thing is a nuisance, um, especially right. this kind of I'm black and I'm proud uh, brand and self-fashioning era from the 90s onwards. And even before that, you know, X-Clan, <laughs> you know, um, and, and with white, he sees it in the in the more in the professional space of journalism. You know, people like uh, um, Spike Lee and uh, as as. as as filmmakers, yeah, they both loathe. They both loathe Spike Lee. Yeah, <laughs> for him was that's like a symbol of black careerists. So, like so Spike Lee is not a journalist, but uh, as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. as on one side of it, and then people like Nelson George, 
I think Armin oh, White really um, did not like because he was Ooh. someone he thought and and Toure, you know, you know who Toure is. Um, yeah, these guys were Black all like me. very yeah. much and around the time that he was writing, seeking mm. entry into the very industry that they're covering instead of critically distancing themselves, engaging from with it. it, right, right, uh, doing what W. E. Du Bois said to do, right, which is Black culture should be an oasis in a dusty desert of dollars and smartness. <laughs> And I think he stay, tries to stay true to that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, same with Cornell West and and yeah. the Michael Eric Dyson, these people. Oh, he hates Cornell West. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do not uh, like uh, that man. But, and that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, he's yeah. Cornell West is actually someone like who sits right in the middle of it. He's someone who's who started within uh, the academy, academia, and sought out the limelight outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Armand White, he was always outside, and with Paul Guerrero, he was kind of always inside. And his his marginalization, I think, is more discipline in, in the in the disciplinary sense. Um, yeah. Although I don't know if, to what extent Paul Guerrero also sought out the the limelight like a Dyson did in the UK. I don't think he ever did that. Um, I think we, could, no. we should ask Daniel McNeil that one day. <laughs> they call him the preeminent scholar of race and. In Britain, right? yeah, but Which I don't is... think he probably he probably hates that, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he won was the Holberg Award. It's essentially like for academics, it's the like the Nobel Peace Prize, right, or a Pulitzer Prize, mm-hmm. right? I think it's the in, the Norwegian Parliament issues that. I think he just received that, so yep. he's getting this these distinctions and honors, um, stuff that I I I, I don't think Armin <laughs> will ever get. Uh, well, yeah. he, he was uh, he he had some high positions over his time, right? He was, I think, in the New York Film Circle, film critical, film criticism circle. He was kind of like a chairman yeah. there for a while because that's a rotating spot. He was the only black man in it, and yeah, um, I mean, it was always tension there. But he he's been there. Um, but yeah, there was that time when he was a chairman. He shouted at someone at a at a uh, film. Uh, awards gala something like allegedly that. allegedly i think apparently something <laughs> happened um <laughs> it was a 12 years a slave i think it was uh mcqueen it could be i mean he didn't deny it yeah. i think armin uh white um yeah but he, let me i think he did did he i think he did deny it man yeah well, i think he's like they they, they was he was he we'll, was, we'll uh, probably co- it will probably be covered in this book <laughs> we'll probably yeah, get 100%. there <laughs> but um because yeah like we're we're armin is really displeased with a book like 12 Years a Slave. I mean, with a movie like 12 Years a Slave, Gilroy thinks that it's, you know, a fantastic movie. But Well, Gilroy is also a, both in generation and in, in, in nation, more, and in po- politics and kind of uh, aesthetics, more aligned with Steve McQueen. They, they, they're yeah. from the ends, from the same ends in, in a way, on, on the global scene that Armin White and Steve McQueen are not. I think he called him, and I and I agree with Armin White here. He called Steve McQueen an art installation person. He's not a filmmaker, and uh, oh, wow. that's what he tried to um, kind of uh, you know push into the film form in Twelve Years a Slave. But that's all many years ago. Let me read out this kind of because this is what stuck out to me. And if you really want to get to the core of what White okay. is trying to, or what position he's writing from. And this mm-hmm. is also connected to his love for Spielberg and for Kale. Uh, 
So he, he feared that American Americans who were irreverent, unpretentious and shallow in a good way might feel pressured into producing overly pretentious films so that they might be taken seriously by a critical establishment enthralled by art house cinema from Europe and Japan. Kale and White both considered Robert Altman to be one of the leading exponents of American American art. Kale was delighted by the pure emotional highs that Altman delivered with Nashville, which brought together a dazzling array of performers to explore American history, politics, religion, and culture, and expose the racist colonial outlook of a visiting reporter from the BBC during the bicentennial celebration of the United States. White celebrated Nashville as a film that avoided the pre-digested, spelled-out movie-making styles of American trash, as well as mm. the solipsism of dreamlike European films. Revealingly, he deemed it a virtuosic example of a complexity and control on a par with the best American, American jazz, and felt deflated and betrayed when Altman directed Three Women and seemed to be enthralled to hushed, pretentious, schematic and obscure, artsy-fartsy bullshit rather than staying to true, true to his American heart. You, you know you, you know that trope about Damn. bringing in a, a BBC reporter you see in a lot of American movies? In anything, like yeah. it could be a comedy, it could be a slapstick comedy, it could be a drama. That's I think that's where it comes from. Like there's this, uh, you know, we are people who are easy to be make, made fun of, but don't make fun mm. of us. <laughs> you know, right, 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 right. there's something uh, to be revered about our mundane everydayness, and uh, mm-hmm. and what makes us so is this idea of we come from many different places, and America molded us into this. Uh, into this kind of uh, huddled mass here, and um, right. this I, that, that line about, for example, he's afraid of filmmakers who get pressured into producing overly pretentious films. Yeah, right. when what you know what they might be known for is being irreverent and unpretentious. That is mm-hmm. like a, a modern day kind of debate, even now in cinema, because there's a lot of stuff that's liked because it's bad. Or it's liked because it is simple and straight to the straight to the point, you know. Right. Um, right. And right now, the place that that people go to for that and defend for that is uh, this moment we're in is the superhero moment, you know, the Marvel moment, because it's the new Western film. And I think mm-hmm. I guess in Armand White's and I think Kale as well. <laughs> well, I guess for him, Snyder brings back the humanism and existentialism that you know it's so missing. Mm-hmm. I think for 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 White, he he would class the Marvel films under what Kale would said about the Star Wars movies at the time, and um, mm-hmm. you know that's that's the point. That's the point about um, right, right, right. um, what was that line again here? Right. So White celebrated Nashville as a film that avoided the pre-digested, spelled-out movie-making styles of American trash. So, so to him, there is an American trash that is trash, but then there is yeah. uh, an American trash that is that takes itself um, seriously and 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 it's a little bit more, I guess, open to to its flaws and and its uh, its sense of sense of uh, difference from from everyone else. And I think that that's like uh, that's I think that's where the teasing happens for him. What what people go to. That's popular, is um, can be one way and can be you know pre-digested and kind of formatted and uh, 
you know every every marvel movie is the same in a sense right or yeah. it could be this other thing that is um unabashedly uh true true about itself and its flaws and distinctly american and he calls that distinctly an american kind of unashamed shamelessly kind of um making films about yourself regardless of what what the standard might be outside of america mhm mhm and i think for for armand as well to kind of like put a cap on this so going long now <laughs> <laughs> he his issue with the movies that have been coming out now especially from marvel is that they don't have finite endings there's always okay i thought loki died okay now there's a show about him and for him if there's not a a, a definite ending then there's no moral arc then there's nothing you can glean from it that can instruct you on how you live your life to be a better version of yourself you know what i mean and 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 but saying it like that i'm like okay i get that 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 makes sense and for him i think there's a disconnect between how we watch movies now and I, they're always against sentimentality and therapeutic um like movies and 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 movie endings especially that but for armand he said going to the movies as as a young kid he wanted to enter into the world of adults he wanted to learn about how they were living how do i figure this thing out i can't wait to be older so that i can make my own decisions for me and and live independently and what i think he thinks is happening now is that people go to the movies to stay young to stay forever young and oh. to to retreat into their to their childhood and i think that he thinks that that's some nostalgic bs yeah you know? uh, yeah that's a very a uh, very very complicated complex <laughs> long yeah. uh podcast in its own right cuz um <laughs> the everything you said and he said i remember him saying that back when i used to read him a lot and mm-hmm. um and everything he says about this um you know you know i mean like you said to him going to the movies was akin going to church he thought going to the movies you could glean something out of the human experience um which you in the same way that you would get from church would um fulfill what his parents told him about giving your best right and uh helping mm-hmm. out your fellow man and all that stuff and he thought that you could do that in the on, on the screen mm. and <laughs> this this idea of american trash that gives uh, people this euphoric kind of feeling of you're like me and i'm like you that that moment yeah. of realization that we're not all so different people mm-hmm. are getting from marvel films and 100% 100% and what and whether it's to stay young i think mm-hmm. at a certain point when you insist on um adulting <laughs> yeah i think you might get stifled and and isn't that the seriousness that he detests right? well that's the thing but he, the the concept about the marvel thing being this never ending mall this commercial never ending in a conveyor belt you know now here's the next thing here's the next thing now buy this now buy that i don't think you should be you should say that about marvel any more than you should about hollywood yeah. I, i don't think you should say yeah. that any more than the the same capitalist machine that america is that some of those uh lefty radicals that he just missed by a year or two were kind of going <laughs> against in the, their 100%. fight against uh general motors and motown and uh, it's also right. the same machine that pushes a movie from america 
no matter how big or small these days, really, all the way to the other、mm. end of the world before a film from any global south economy、right. gets、uh, ties its shoelace. You know, right, right, and right. I know Armin White knows this, but I think sometimes the balance and the and the the volume is not always the same. But、um, like I said, I think we could talk about this point forever because this is a, <laughs> this is right, you're right, talking right. to someone who realized this moment、uh, during Avengers Endgame, <laughs> this, this, this euphoric <laughs> moment. I'm like, oh, so it's like this. I, 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 the moment he had in a in white suburbia, <laughs> yeah, walking yeah. in the pure <laughs> snow, walking back from what was it? What did he watch? Third, third kind of encounters yeah, of the、yeah. third kind. <laughs> I had that at age thirty, whatever that was, when Endgame、yeah. came out. So,、um, oh, wow. and it's, it's and、deep. and、uh, by the way, another another person that I mentioned earlier that this is in comparison to is there's something about especially in America. About the first black family that that moves to a white neighborhood, just period.、Mm, I think there's a social、right. uh, aspect to that that should be studied just under you know <laughs> sociology and right, and, right. and class. That's that metaphor of him walking by himself in the 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 outer suburbs of Detroit. Yeah, that's in his book as well. He he talks about this in Resistance, right? Right, right. He's by himself. And his tra- his steps are the only footprints there, right? He's a trailblazer. He's a real American. He's out there finding new land, and he's doing it by himself. And he's a he's a rebel for it with with a cause. <laughs> Or he、you、hates psycho- psychoanalysis because psychoanalysis would tell him he's the first black man to walk these streets of pure white、right. snow, and、Ooh. and he saw he saw a vision, and he and he.、Uh, And he kind of, st- you know, thought this is it. This is the road. This, this is the path. Right, right, right. Because to bring Malcolm back, Malcolm X back into it, what did he always say? Oh, you want to be the only one on your job, the only one in your neighborhood. Oh, you're that type of Negro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's a wrong thing to say, but I think it is.、Uh, it is an important thing to say. I mean, even even the idea of structure of feeling only goes so far because you have to talk about libidinal economy at that point.、Mm. It, right. You can't just leave it at the poetic、uh, level. Fred Moten couldn't believe Frank Wilderson believed the things that he believed, but then he thought, "Well, he was the first, you know, part of the first black family that moved into an all-white neighborhood in Minnesota, and that was really white. And his parents were academics, and they raised him to memorize、um, classic literature. It makes sense, I guess, right, you know." Right, 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 right. It's a different type of alienation, right? Like、yeah. that's the Fanonian point. It's it's if you're a black proletariat, if you're plebeian, there's a different set of anxieties, and it's it's you're not you might not understand black skin white mass to the fullest, but I'm sure Frank Frank does, and I'm sure Armin does. Well, I, I think it's unfair for Fred Moten to say that. I mean, argue、mm-hmm. the point, but what I'm saying is it's true, and、um, it would be nice if we all just you know remember that、uh, the. The, the John Watson's uh, uh, the inner city voice was it, and、um, the inner city voices, yeah. Southend Press and、uh, Drum and all those guys. I think that's. I think they had a better handle of that、um, at the time. They may have not been alive to this, to this humanistic culture,、um, but maybe that's because other things were more pressing at the time. So I'll leave it at that.、Yeah. Excellent.
beautiful and amazing. This is no GPS. We'll be back at you again and again and again. And peace, love, and harmony to you. And thank you for listening. Peace and harmony. Peace. Like Bill, but they more like Cosby than they like OJ. I roll with a role, I roll with a soul, like Rick and the Dave. They strand to the wig. I'm Prince with the lived. I'm pocketing the gig. I'm Mike and the Wiz. They popping the Chris. I'm Jake and the Sick. I'm loaded. I, the dice I roll it, like Jordan can't control it. Janet Jackson free zoning. Bolter like Leah Cohen. Uh, bap bap and I hit him with the rhythm of the kick. Hit him with the rhythm of the fist. Hit him with the rhythm of the Bruce Lee. Who me? Move like a Fuji. Back in a Uzi. Glow up, blow up like Gucci. Super side for the clouds like QB. You win a game for the fame. What a shame for the fame like David Bowie. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I be the man, y'all be the rat, stalking a fan on YouTube, damn. Hopping the lamb with the top of my head with the rinse and Michael Jackson bad. What Wesley had, the new jack. I'm holding back, my show on that. People got so fed that try to keep me down. With the system, we get too much. Yeah, they got my way, man, try to see me drown. With the system, we get too much.